and thank you for being a member of the History of World War II podcast, episode 140, Hawaiian Justice. Last time, Naval Airman First Class Shigenori Nishigaichi, whose fuel tanks had been punctured by American small arms fire during the surprise attack on Pearl Harbor, found himself forced to land on Ni'ihau, a small island to the west of Oahu. The island was the Japanese Navy's backup plan, in case any of their pilots were unable to return to the carrier fleet. Nishigaichi found himself in such a state. But as he crash-landed, a local, Hawila Keleohano, had overpowered him, taking his pistol and his papers, which included his maps. Though the overall situation was strange, after all, the islanders did not know of the attack on Pearl Harbor, Hawaii's natural tendency to be kind asserted itself. Hawila took Nishikaichi to his home. The pilot asked, in his limited English, hoping against hope, Are you Japanese? The reply from the islander chilled his heart. No, I am Hawaiian. Hawila's wife made Nishigaichi some food and a cup of coffee. The two men ate on the porch as they tiptoed around each other verbally, with the pilot's limited English. The food gone, the men started smoking cigarettes. Nishigaichi casually asked for his papers back. Hawila, equally casually, said no. It wasn't long before other Ni'ihau locals came to inspect the plane and its pilot. It also wasn't long before Hawila and Nishikaichi exhausted the latter's command of English. Hawila knew there were a few people on the island who spoke Japanese, and as he was most curious as to why the Japanese pilot was here, he sent for one of them. Soon, Ishimatsu Shitani trudged along. Though a Japanese citizen, he had come to Hawaii around 1900, but only found work on Ni'ihau. Settling down, he married a local woman, had three children, and was known to all as a quiet, hard-working man. But that description only seemed to fit Shitani when he was on Ni'ihau. As soon as he heard of the presence of the pilot, he remembered what had been instilled in him as a child back in Japan. He would have to show deference to this military man and loyalty. Yet, how could he? His life was here on Ni'ihau, as was his family. And what about the loyalty he owed to Elmer Robinson, his boss? Japanese culture at that time was not known for halfway measures or dual loyalties. Certainly, to an outsider. With the situation thus, Shitani exchanged a few words with the pilot, and it was clear to all that he was most unhappy to have any part of this. Shitani soon stopped talking, told his neighbors none of what had been said, and then left, much faster than he arrived. The host, as it were, Hawila, next sent for Yoshio and Irene Harada, Yoshio and Irene were both U.S. citizens, having been born in the territory that was Hawaii at the beginning of the century, to Japanese parents. 
And as was the norm, the now husband and wife, when they were kids, had attended Japanese schools on the larger nearby island of Kawai, where their parents had worked. They, like Shintani, had three children. Yoshio and Irene had been working for Robinson on Niihau since 1939. Right away, Yoshio and Nishigaichi began to talk, and the conversation was much more relaxed than it had been with Shitani. The pilot opened up to his perceived fellow countrymen, telling him of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and that Hawila had taken from him his pistol and papers, of which he wanted back. Yoshio Harada did not tell his fellow islanders this extraordinary news, and his wife Irene followed his lead. Though all of this was odd, Hawaiian tradition dominated the scene, hence a luau would be held for their guest from the sky. This would take place at another's house, Joseph Kele. As the party got underway, the gathered natives continued to ask each other about the Japanese pilot and his shot-up plane. Though several people on the island were enthusiastic amateur photographers, none were radio hams, so no communication devices were on Niihau, which meant they did not not only know of the attack that morning, but that martial law had been declared over the entire island chain, nor that there was a blackout and curfew. But all this changed when Yoshio Harada, eventually, before the party was over, told his friends and co-workers what the pilot had said, at least about the attack on Oahu. As for Nishikaichi, he could feel the tension growing as his true story became known. Time was now of the essence. He needed his pistol, his papers, and to destroy what remained of his fighter plane. However, before the plane was made irretrievable, he also needed to use its radio to see if the sub, his only means of escape, was still nearby. The luau ended and everyone went home, but Nishigaichi was kept at Joseph Kele's house and watched over. When the sun rose on Monday... The pilot was taken to Ki, the most northeastern part of Niihau, the part closest to Kawai. The idea was to signal for Elmer Robinson's whaleboat, currently at Kawai, to come and take the pilot back there and let the authorities deal with him. And although a lighting signal had been used, the two islands were close enough to make contact by a large light, the small vessel was not sent over. Later, it would be learned that the signal had been spotted on Kauai, but that the sea in between the islands was too rough for the whaleboat. So, that Monday afternoon, they all went back to Joseph Keeley's house and tried again on Tuesday morning. But again, the boat did not make an appearance. It was decided that, just in case they were missing the Sampam, the pilot and his guards would spend Tuesday night at key. But again, on Wednesday morning, they were all left to stare at each other. They would try again on Thursday. But instead of going back to Joseph Keeley's house, as before, that Wednesday afternoon, they went to Yoshio Harada's house, 
it's not clear at whose instigation. The five-man guard team, including Yoshio Harada, agreed to take turns watching over Nishikaichi. Thursday morning came and went, but before night arrived, Harada put a request to John Kekuhina, the lead foreman on the island, as well as the pastor of the church and captain of the whaleboat. Harada explained, as he was the only Japanese speaker guarding the pilot, he felt that it was too much responsibility for him. He couldn't be awake all the time if a translation was needed. No, Harada wanted Shintani, who had spoken to the pilot first, to come help. The foreman put this request to Shintani, who was clearly uncomfortable with it. Yet he replied that although he would not come that Thursday night, he would help guard the man the next day, after his work was done. When Friday morning came, December 12th, John Kikuhina, the foreman, made his way to the highest point on the island. There he would make a signal fire that was sure to bring the boat from nearby Kauai. Later that Friday morning, Shitani showed up at Harada's house, as promised, to help guard Nishigaichi. The two Japanese-speaking islanders had a conversation with the pilot. The other guards had no idea of what was being said. Soon after 1 p.m. that Friday, another local came by Harada's house and saw that Shintani and Harada were talking to the pilot. As things seemed to be relatively calm, the local walked away and came back 30 minutes later. Shitani was gone, supposedly, back to his bee apiary. However, around 4 p.m. that same day, Shitani arrived at Hawila's house and began banging on the door. Hawila came to the door, rubbing sleep out of his eyes. Agitated and not waiting for the house owner to fully awake, Shintani asked him if he had the pilot's papers with him. Hawila said yes and showed Shintani the pilot's map of Oahu, but Shintani said he needed to see the other papers, that he was looking for something specific. Hawila got the other papers and showed them to his worked-up visitor. Shintani then said he needed these papers. It was a matter of life or death, but he didn't say whose. Could Hawila give them to him? Hawila said no. Shintani said he only wanted to destroy them, not to keep them for himself. But Hawila replied that they would be punished by the law for destroying something that was clearly evidence and important to the military. Then Shintani surprised Hawila by saying he would give the man all of the money he had, around $200 U.S., for the papers. But still, Hawila refused. Dejected, Shintani left. Just over an hour later, around 5.30 p.m. that Friday, Nishigaichi and Harada showed up at Hawila's house. As Hawila was in the outhouse, he watched them walk up. But to his shock, there was a third person with them, a 16-year-old boy, Kalihiliai, who had a gun to his back. But the weapon wasn't being held by Nishigaichi, but rather by Harada. Hawila realized the pistol had been the one that he 
had taken from the pilot, that sometime that day or the night before, someone must have entered his house when he was away and stolen it. Hawila stayed in the outhouse and continued to watch as the men looked around the area, obviously searching for him. After a while, they left, heading towards the nearby plane. What was learned later was that, previously, Harada had gone to the Robinson Ranch house and into Aylmer's room and taken the boss's shotgun, supposedly the only weapon on the island. And sometime that afternoon, Harada had used the shotgun to subdue the other guards and lock them in a nearby warehouse. Also that, after they were free of the guards, Nishigaichi and Harada had commandeered a wagon from a family, though they kept the young girl who was driving the wagon and made for Hawila's house. That's when he saw them approach, after they had stopped by the airplane and forced the boy who was guarding the plane to come with them. After Nishikaichi and Harada had left Hawila's house, they went to the center of the village to try to apprehend more of the locals. But by then, the guards who had been locked up had broken out and warned everyone to run and hide. However, one additional man, Kahakila, had stayed behind to make sure everyone got away, was captured. Now the two fugitives had two prisoners, the boy and the older man. All four of them stomped by Joseph Keeley's house, where the luau had been, but found no additional prisoners. Next, they all went back to the plane. The two captives, the man and the boy, saw that the plane's cartridges had been removed and piled up on its wings. This must have been done earlier, when the boy was captured. While Harada used the prisoners to carry the cartridges to the wagon, Nishikaichi activated the plane's radio. The two captives heard the pilot speak into the radio several times, but no response was forthcoming. Next, Harada made the prisoners carry one of the machine guns from the plane and load it into the wagon. Next, Harada told the older prisoner, Kahakila, though he did not untie his hands, to find Harada's wife, Irene, and say that he would not be home today. He and the pilot were going to continue to search for Hawila, who was the only one who knew where Nishigaji's papers were. But instead of carrying out his task, Kahakila went to the beach where his family was in hiding. Seeing that they were safe, Kahakila talked another man, Bene Nokaka, or Bene Kanehele, who was also hiding at the beach with his family, to join him in trying to get their hands on the pilot's retrieved machine gun. Nishikachi had told Kahakila through Harada that he had enough bullets with him to kill everyone on the island. Kahakila and Benny found the wagon, but the machine gun was no longer inside but the cartridges were, so the two men took them and hid them in a different section of the beach. Meanwhile, the two Japanese men continued their search for Hawila. As they could not find him, around 3 a.m. Saturday morning, they returned to the plane and destroyed it as best they could with fire. As they were near Hawila's house, 
and there was a decent chance that the pilot's papers were hidden somewhere inside, they then burnt that down as well. When the sun arose Saturday morning, December 13th, Nishikaichi and Harada went to the beach and captured the families hiding there, including that of Kahakila, the former prisoner. The Japanese told everyone that all they wanted to do was talk to Hawila, so they let a few of them go to search him out. However, the caveat was that if Hawila was not found, then they would all die, and only afterward would Nishigaichi and Harada kill themselves. One of those who was sent out to search for Hawila was Bene Kanahele, but he returned later that morning and rejoined his wife, who was being held hostage. Going back a bit, just after midnight, Friday night, six of the islanders, including Hawila, launched their own small whaleboat in an attempt to reach Kauai. The seas were still bad, but after everything that had happened, with Harada joining Nishigaichi and them taking prisoners, it was decided the men would risk their lives. They had to row for 15 hours, but eventually, by 3 p.m. Saturday, they had landed at the island and found Mr. Robinson to tell him of the crashed plane, the pilot, and the danger all the islanders were in. Robinson went straight to the authorities. It was decided by Lieutenant Colonel Fitzgerald that Lieutenant Jack Mitsua, a native of Kauai, would lead a squad of 12 heavily armed men of Company M of the 299th Infantry back to Niihau. Fortunately, the lighthouse tender Kukui was not far off, so a message was sent to it to return to take them to Niihau. The tender departed around 6 p.m. on Saturday, dropped off the men around 7.30 a.m. on Sunday morning. The armed squad ate a quick breakfast and then walked 10 miles to the main village, arriving around 1.50 p.m. The men under Lieutenant Jack Mitsua spread out, but the scene they came upon was anticlimactic. By then, Nishikaichi was dead and buried, while Harada had killed himself. Lieutenant Jack Mitsua questioned the natives and pieced together the last part of Nishikaichi's story. When Bene Kanahele returned to the beach to join his captive wife, he knew that something had to happen. Help might be coming, but it might come too late. The Japanese pilot had already stated that if he did not get what he wanted, they would all die. But as Hawila had not been found, nor the pilot's papers, Nishigaichi felt discouraged, and so let his fatigue show. He had been up all night. That was when Benikanahela rushed the pilot. Nishikaichi had the pistol in his boot and tried to fight off the Hawaiian while retrieving his gun. Benny's wife must have sensed her husband was about to do something, because within seconds of the struggle, she moved in and tried to grab the pilot's arm as he went for his gun. But then Harada rushed in and pulled her back. This allowed Nichikachi to free the gun and shoot Benny 
three times at close range. At least two of the shots entered the groin area. However, between the small caliber of the pistol and Benny's rage and adrenaline, he was not subdued. Being six foot six and used to lifting sheep as a part of his job, the man's strength was unusual. Grabbing Nishigachi by the waist, Benny picked him up and slammed his head either on the ground or on a small stone wall nearby. Either way, Nishigaichi died instantly. As for Harada, who must have felt some guilt at turning on his friends and co-workers, not to mention putting his family at risk, at the very least ruining their lives on the island, he turned the shotgun on himself and sent two blasts into his own stomach. What exactly happened next is of some conjecture. Some say that Benny pulled out his knife and cut the pilot's throat, just to make sure he was dead. Another story claims that his wife Ella then used the knife to cut off Nichikaichi's ears before he was buried. Apparently, this Hawaiian culture that focuses on harmony and relaxation also has a dark side when it's disturbed. But the story is not quite over. <laughs> 